Welcome to Unlocked, a podcast from National Library of Scotland. I'm Lindsay Moyes. Over the past three years, thousands of sound collections from all over Scotland have been lovingly collected, restored, catalogued and digitised as part of the Unlocking Our Sound Heritage project. It's a UK-wide initiative launched by the British Library and supported by the Scotland Sounds Network. Its Scottish hub is at the National Library of Scotland, and the team here have been working with organisations across the country to rediscover a treasure trove of oral history. Over four episodes, we'll bring you a selection of these audio gems, some of which haven't been heard in decades, and reveal a bit about the nuts and bolts behind this ambitious venture. The word unlocking is obviously a huge part of it. Sound collections are often quite neglected within our organisations. If we don't preserve them in a digital format, then they could be lost forever. Sound Collections curator Alistair Bell and Jenny Park, project manager for Unlocking Our Sound Heritage. The fact that they've been recorded on audio makes a huge difference in terms of how people can then engage with the recordings. That opportunity for people to hear people's voices, these sounds, these ghosts, as it were, does obviously bring back that kind of emotion. I think people are very used to kind of looking back at old photographs or older documents and those kinds of things, but not everybody really has that recording or that sound recording. These are voices that wouldn't normally be captured. I mean, I know myself and probably you've had the same sort of experience. When you hear an ancestor's voice on a recording, it's so much more emotional and real than if you just read a letter that they wrote. (laughs) It really does give you another level of engagement with history in the past. And from a national viewpoint, what we get from that is this wonderful tapestry all over Scotland of these voices, of these sounds, which help to paint this picture of Scotland and its heritage and its past. We've got such a wide variety of collections that have come into us and each one it's like Christmas morning coming down, opening a box under the tree and not knowing what you're going to get every time a collection comes in. Such is the scale of this project that Spoilt for Choice is an understatement, so we've picked out a few themes and this episode will focus on Scotland's rich and varied art scene. We had a lot of traditional music and we also had quite a large selection of poetry, quite a large selection of mostly oral histories or you know reminiscences about the theatre in Scotland. And so I, I felt that these grouped together a little bit in being able to demonstrate our cultural expression in Scotland and how that's materialised over the years. You know, the arts in Scotland are, are completely diverse. We have a long history of music and storytelling, and I think that's reflected here. It's something that's part of our national psyche, and it's really good to see all the different stories that are reflected here. Like going to the pantomime in the 1920s is as exciting for a child nowadays as it was then. Curtain up on our first clip. John Taylor's recollections of his annual pantomime visit. My earliest theatre going was to be taken to the pantomime at Christmas, or more exactly at the New Year. The heathen Scots did not celebrate Christmas in the 1920s, or for many years after that. But New Year was special, particularly in my family, for it was the anniversary of my parents' wedding. And although we were at home on New Year's Day, the visit to the pantomime shortly thereafter was part of the celebrations. 
While some archive had to be collected from further afield, this recording was discovered much closer to home. Scotland's record is one that's been held in the National Library for coming on 40-year-old years now, and again, hasn't been accessible to people. You know, the tapes have been there, but it hasn't been very well used and not necessarily very well described, so that people don't necessarily know what's in the recording. So here again is an opportunity to kind of bring this collection out, which is almost like the statistical accounts on audio tape, little tidbits of audio recording from all over Scotland. And there's lots of people in this project when it was collected that have recorded the reminiscences. And and this is a great example of that golden age of theatre and what a grand occasion it must have felt like. Just before the curtain went up, there were two rituals. First of all, a great rustling of paper as the ladies tore the wrappings off the chocolate boxes which gentlemen were under an obligation to provide. The other was the entrance of members of the orchestra who appeared through holes below the stage like mice coming from the skirting board. The conductor, of course, walked along the front of the stalls with the spotlight on him and to great applause. The house lights dimmed. The spotlights came on to light up the beautiful red plush curtain and the orchestra started up with some bright and catchy tune. This, to me, is the most magic moment in a theatre. The audience sits there in a kind of tense, eager anticipation, waiting for the curtain to open. And when it does, I have heard spontaneous applause just for the excellence of a stage design. John Taylor gives an eloquent account from the auditorium and our next clip takes us on stage, behind the curtain. This is Sam Hankin, a founding member of the Glasgow Jewish Institute Players. How does one get the depth of character that Stanislavski and Jamchenko was after? Surely there must be a background to each character before he comes to the play that the audience sees and afterwards, what happens afterwards. The Scottish Theatre collections largely stem from the Scottish Theatre archive held at the University of Glasgow. There's some really nice examples in here of people being asked about their experiences in the theatre. I think what Sam Hankin does so eloquently in this clip is kind of describe that character acting. And so, you know, he... Here's an instance of, again, a collection that's been hidden away for a very long time. An interesting character talking about something that is you know, as applicable now to any budding thespian as it was back then. To explain what we mean by, what I mean by the Stanislavski and Danchenko method, they used to say that if you're playing the part of an orange, you have to feel the pips in your stomach. So... In one production that I did for the players at that time, All My Sons by uh, Arthur Miller, I actually wrote a life story for each character, where they were born, what school they went to, who was their best friends, when they got married, and so on and so forth. And the players had to study that life story and know it backwards so well that at any period, 
If I say, what school did you go to, he'd give me a reply immediately. Sam Hankin's account is a reminder of just how connected Scotland was to the wider international theatre scene. With the Scottish Theatre Archive in particular, that's one of the things that you pick up, that they were incredibly important. They were groundbreaking and they were very linked to other people across the world, Europe especially. At the time that they're talking about in the 1940s, the art scene in Glasgow was really taking off. It was at the forefront of activism. It was the forefront of a different way of presenting theatre within Scotland. Picking up on this idea, here's another example from Glasgow University's Scottish Theatre Archive, a recording of renowned painter Joseph Harriman, who spent time with Glasgow's artistic community in the 1940s, including inspiring characters such as Helen Bigger, founder of the Glasgow Unity Theatre. He was struck by its similarity to another European city. In the 1940s, when Glasgow was one of the liveliest cities as far as art was concerned in Britain. It was a very lively city. First of all, it was almost like a Paris. You could hear in the streets German spoken, Norwegian spoken, Polish spoken, French spoken, Czech spoken, you know, and it was a colourful city at the time. Okay. Joseph, can you tell us how you first met Helen Bigger? Uh, she was the second person I met in Glasgow. And our meeting from the very first was that of two people who knew each other for a long, long time. And this is not so much because of me as because, rather, of the forthcoming person that Helen was. From the very first meeting, we became friends and we saw each other approximately four or five times a week. Uh, From the moment I met her, All my worries became her worries, and all my troubles became her troubles. Because Helen was this kind of person that when she knew that somebody is in need of something, she would do everything to make it easier for one. More than this, she found for me a studio. She, when I needed a easel, she found for me an easel. You know, some of the people that Joseph Herman worked with, like Helen Bigger, would go on and make you know a huge international name for themselves, not just in the domestic um, theatre and film scene in Scotland. And it's a wonderful collection that really encompasses those driving personalities within the theatre at the time and what they have managed to achieve. I think what this does is really kind of remind people that Glasgow wasn't just that smelting pot, that industry, shipbuilding, steam, smoke. There was these other things going on throughout as well. Having grown up myself near Glasgow, the 80s and 90s, 
there was this feeling that, and I think a lot of people try and tell the story of this almost cultural renaissance in Glasgow in 1990, almost as if culture before then didn't really, you know. But obviously when you do begin to look and you begin to dig into it, the culture was there constantly. And, you know, the whole 20th century was full of these characters and a rich cultural life in the arts and theatre and in all sorts of ways. This cultural vibrancy also applies to literature, and right at the heart of Scotland's literary renaissance was Helen Cruikshank. Her Edinburgh home was a kind of bohemian headquarters for writers of the time, hosting the likes of Hugh McDermott. Her poetry is often rooted in Scotland's landscape, especially the glens of Angus where she spent her family holidays. Within the collection, there's a recording made towards the end of her life where she reads her own poems. We've got a couple for you now which really illustrates her impressive range from the humorous to the poignant. April 1918. The blossoms on the blackthorn, the gold is on the whin, the crimson tufts are on the larch, the barks are veiled and green, and bonny mang the Angus braes, the frozen waters run. But it's oh for the lad that gate to Flanders. Here along the frozen hawks he used to tend his sheep, rising in the lambing time when I was fast asleep. Far ayant the Angus braes, the tides of battle sweep, and it's oh for the lad that lies in Flanders. The intimacy that she manages to portray. You can sense where she is as well. You can almost sense her in her front room on her on her armchair. You can feel how intimate it is. It's always so special to hear a poet reciting their own poetry. And it's great that we've managed to digitally preserve this set of poems by her in her own voice. The Universal Art. There was a hen at Tipperty that hatched a brood of ducks and led them to the waterside with crude maternal clocks. And when the fluffy little teds were launched up of the dam, a fairy sea, and stop at she, and widened for they swam. Her scaly legs grew white as milk, wheat were her feather breeks, and in she raxed her horny neb when doon dabbed yellow beaks. She herded all her paidland brood frae Cressy bank to bank and wided butt and wided ben on careful, balanced shank. No, heaven up had ye, skilly hen, you're daft, ye love a duck. Her beady ee she winked at me and clock, she said, just clock. The wonderful poetry of Helen Cruikshank. My name is Robert Smith, or Rob Smith. I'm the cataloging coordinator on the Unlocking Our Sound Heritage Project. Being a librarian at heart, the central component uh, of the whole project for me is that we've not only now preserved these recordings, but we're also increasing the accessibility of them. Unlocking Our Sound Heritage has taken Rob all over Scotland, as the first step in the process is to physically collect the audio in its many forms. 
The trips can be exciting in, in, in quite different ways. I lived in Aberdeen for a long time, so getting the chance to revisit the Silver City was a bit of a personal treat for me. Other factors, just in terms of the material that you picked up, it's, it's always very well getting an inventory list through from one of our partners to maybe understand what their collection consists of, but it's not until you actually get there to see it that you get a sense of what actually might be contained there, what those recordings might consist of, and also what challenges you might face as well. The John Junor collection, held by Aberdeenshire Museum Service, was one of the most varied and extensive the team had to deal with. John Junor was a school teacher in the northeast of Scotland, and his passion was playing the fiddle and the traditional music of the northeast. He was an avid collector. Um, he has a huge amount of material that he collected, whether it was on compact cassettes or on wax cylinders. And a lot of the wax cylinders he dubbed into recordings as well. And there's some very, very early dubbings of Northeast traditional musicians, which probably don't exist anywhere else. It was said of Turner that his his favourite instrument to play was his tape machine. And that really comes through in the, the recordings that we've been working with. He was such an enthusiast of recording. The collection that Aberdeenshire Museum Service have is vast. The tapes are only a tiny part of it. There's 1,500 wax cylinders. There's 3,000 Shellac 78s. He's got all the old equipment that he's mustered over the years as well, and this is all now donated to the Aberdeenshire Museum Service. And that is, there's so much of the story of the man in some of these. And so we've got this story, this kind of social aspect of audio and how it was being used in the past. Hello, Tom. Well, I hope uh, you have enjoyed what was on this tape. There's quite a mix-up here, and that last programme is very interesting. I'm sure you'd have enjoyed what came before it. That, of course, uh, consisted of some tunes played by Bill and myself earlier this evening. Uh, We would have liked to have put on more, but I'm afraid time has gone just too rapidly, the old complaint. But anyhow, Bill is now just about to depart... It's now just uh, about 20 minutes to 12, and he's anxious to be home in reasonable time. I think it kind of transplanted the the old tradition of maybe writing like a Christmas letter to people, uh, like a catch-up, you know, what happened throughout the year. And so what the correspondence tapes in the, in the Juna collection kind of reveal are people talking about their day-to-day lives. You know, it, it could be as mundane as getting a new mower, or for Junior, because he was he was also very interested in the technical aspects of recording, he might uh, share information about what types of microphones he's been using or what tape machines have worked particularly well for him in, in recording sessions. Hello, John. This is Tom here. Well, I'm starting in the dub on this tape of yours, uh, some of the items you mentioned. This is a Tuesday, the 22nd September. I don't know if I'll get very far with this tonight as I have two young English doctors of mathematics coming in. They're up here studying the steps of some old dancers. But as we see in the raft, I'll bash on uh, regardless until they do turn up. One of the clips there is from Tom Anderson, who's the you know well-known fiddler, fiddle teacher from Shetland. And it's very nice to be able to have some of these recordings to be able to tell not just the music, but also that social story around the music. So I'm starting off, first of all, with the session of fiddles. The five fiddles, I think. There was yourself, Wally Hunter, Johnny Irving, Betty and myself with Violet on piano. 
So if you wait a minute till I hook in the other recorder, we'll bash on. So it's a wonderful microcosm of everything that music of the Northeast, and you can see the the sort of linear connections from sort of Scott Skinner all the way through to well to the present day as people learn new recordings that they hadn't heard before and share them with others. I love the social history of the sitting around in the house and, and having a jam session and that being recorded because it's so sort of off the cuff and spontaneous. That it's just a wonderful, wonderful atmosphere in the, the John Jenner collection. From the northeast to Stornoway and a stunning recording of the Lewis Bridal song, courtesy of Duncan Morrison. Duncan Morrison is is really well known in the Western Isles as a piper and a pianist and a composer and an arranger. (laughs) And uh, these songs are just beautiful. Beautiful, both in terms of its physicality and also the audio recordings. It's a, a small collection of coarse groove shellac records. So you can hear all the little hisses and clicks associated with, with older recordings of music. And Lewis Bridal song especially, it's a wonderful, wonderful song. It was the first dedicated music collection that we worked with. And it was also the first time I was properly encountering published items. We make a distinction between privately produced recordings, like an oral history interview, and then published items where recordings have been actually put out by, say, like a record label. Some of them are on, you know, kind of more well-known record labels, so they were kind of more widely available, commercially released. But some of them were on a very local record label, one that we didn't know of, based in Stornoway, uh, McKeever and Park. And they still have a, a shop, an electrical shop, in Stornoway. So there's that element where we've got this really small record label from the 1950s. You know, there's a story there as well and how the collection obviously has come become part of the project by being donated to the Western House Libraries and then being in that position of going, we've got these discs and we don't know what to do with them. And then it being part of, of a project like unlocking our sound heritage to be able to make them listen to it. And that almost brings our archive exploration of Scotland's arts to a close. But there is one art form we've missed. Before I joined this project, I had no idea what a diddler was, but now I know. (laughs) To enlighten us, here's a recording from BBC Scotland of diddler John MacDonald of Pitgiveni in conversation with Archie P. Lee. Now, John, there's one activity of yours that, when I heard about it, it made me a wee bit suspicious of you. I've heard it said that you're a diddler. Is is that true? <laughs> yes, but there are several kinds of diddlers. Well, there's the one that's always out to diddle everybody, you see. And, and which kind are you? Ah, just a minute, I'm coming to that, Archie. Well, there's when you're born, a little baby, your mother diddles you on your knee, sort of humming away to her. So... Uh, when you grow up, sometimes you start diddling. I suppose it comes from that, your mother diddling on your knee, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what I am, yes. 
So, uh, how do you sing as a diddler then? Could you give me an example of this? Yes. Well, there, uh, in the Highlands, they have the Gaelic diddling, but uh, in the northeast of Scotland, it's much the same, but in uh, broad Scotch, but it's not words. But I'll, I, what I was going to tell you, when I was a young lad, Oh, over well over 40 years ago, there was a travelling concert party who used to put a big caravan up in the square in the towns, and they had all grand concerts. I think it was Andre Letter was the name of the company, and they had a competition for the Championship of Scotland for Dudley, and for fun I entered it, and I won it, and the tune was a a polka, it was called My Auntie Jean, and I can still diddle, uh, will I let you hear it? Yeah, I'd love to. Well, here's My Auntie Jean. John MacDonald of Pitgiveni, folk singer and diddler. I had no idea what diddling was until I listened to this recording and discovered that it's an oral history tradition of how to pass on tunes when people didn't read music. So you would be able to pass on the, the rhythms and the beats of the, the tune to others who would then be able to pick up their self-taught instrument, probably a fiddle, and then repeat that tune and share it with other people. And it's, it's a wonderful way of doing it, a real nice piece of history. There's a, a real tradition and history in diddling. And I think, you know, what I love about this clip is how good he is at it. <laughs> It just sounds great. It really sounds great. Have you ever diddled for people to dance to? Oh, yes, many a time. You know, when I was a young lad, the at the parties and dances in barns, sometimes the fiddler wouldn't turn up or the melodeon player broke his melodeon or got foo, and then somebody had to diddle, and, well, they always looked at me, and I had to diddle for them. Then... <coughs> It was every sort of uh, dance you did in those days, you know, right from 8 o'clock to night to 3 o'clock in the morning. And the quick ones, as well as the slow ones, I'll let you hear a bit of a stress pay, if you like. It's a devil in the kitchen, and if I have enough wind left, I'll do a bit of a teller. Makes you quite breathless. John MacDonald of Pitkaveni, and what better way to wrap things up than with his impressive diddling? Thanks to BBC Scotland for allowing us to share that clip. Thanks too to Alistair Bell, Jenny Park and Rob Smith for their artistic tour through the archives. Next time, environment will be the theme with some glorious field recordings of birdsong, plus some of the secrets of audio preservation. I'm Lindsay Moyes and this has been Unlocked, a podcast from National Library of Scotland and the Scotland Sounds Network. 
Thank you for listening. <laughs>